Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweiden Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweiden Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. Hey, Rev. What's going on, Brad? I'm um, just playing on Instagram, looking at food photos. Well, how about you? Uh, I kind of do that all day. I assumed you do as well, no? Well, we recorded this on Martin Luther King Day. We are recording this on Martin Luther King Day, so I spent the day thinking about the good Dr. King, not playing on Instagram. Interesting. You know what gets my goat? What? I really don't like it when brands use holidays or public events to market themselves that have nothing to do with their business. Um, I think, so I was listening to a marketing podcast where they talked about that, and I think that there are some holidays where it makes sense to do. And I think there are a lot of ways that um, brands do it. That's really offensive. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I don't know. I think, I think there are actually ways that brands can set up their social media policy to make it so that once holidays like this roll around, they can integrate holidays like this into their uh, social media calendars that just seem to, that makes sense. Yeah, like if you're a bar and you want to do something on social media on, you know, Prohibition Day or, you know, National Repeal Day, that makes sense. That's your business, right? But if you are posting about MLK on MLK Day just because you think it's topical, but yet it really doesn't represent other things that you're doing with your brand, to me, it's like a waste of space and it's almost disrespectful to the reason that I think that holiday exists. Yeah, I don't think... I don't think that like an MLK Day happy hour is the right way to go about. Oh. Um, I mean, I haven't seen that today, but oh. I, I, I would be very surprised if it didn't exist. I don't, even, being, I don't even want to Google it because it probably does. Right. But that being said, um, another thing that I've been thinking about lately is how it's effective for brands to be more about the lifestyle that they're creating than the actual product that they put out or the service that they put out. So if that lifestyle jives with civil rights or love, or, or things along that line, I think you can you can find a tasteful way to integrate the holiday. I would agree with you. How do you feel about quote-unquote national food holidays? I think they're fair game for whatever you want to do because they're <laughs> fake. They're lovely. I'm very excited for February 2nd. Do you know what February 2nd is? National two days before Brad Garoon's birthday day. Uh, well, it's Groundhog's Day, uh, but it is also two days before Brad Garoon's birthday. But it is also National Tater Tot Day. Oh, very cool. I love National Tater Tot Day. We should go to the Grayson and get their loaded tots. They're incredible. Done. And speaking of special days, uh, I'm excited to welcome on the Burger Beast to today's podcast. He uh, has created his own weird calendar of events where he has wrestlers and donuts and food trucks and competitions. And uh, he's a lot of great insights to give if you're a food blogger or somebody who works with food bloggers. Seth Gonzalez, or as most people know him, Burger Beast, is a South Florida food blogger, social influencer, and an event producer. Uh, he's been featured on Burgerland with George Motes uh, and a number of other places. You'll see him like the Miami New Times, uh, South Beach Food and Wine Fest. Not only does he curate events for the South Beach Food and Wine Festival, he's also founded a calendar's worth of known food events like the Burgi Awards, El Evento, Croqueta Palooza, uh, the Burger Brawl, and more. He's even set a record for, I believe it's the world's longest food truck parade. Uh, the Beast's love for restaurant chain memorabilia is well known, and he recently opened the Burger Beast Museum where it's all on display. Beast, do you actually eat everything that you post on your blog and social networks? 
Well, you know, I don't know if I should answer that question because I think that if I give the truth, I may disappoint some people. <laughs> How often do you get asked that question? Believe it or not, that's the number one question I get asked. Really? And have you ever... I, I, everyone always wants to know how do you do it. And that's probably because I'm a, David, a little bit of David Copperfield. You know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe Love I should say David, David. David Copperfield's 280s for everybody. I should say David Blaine. You need a little more David Blaine? <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about the, the Burger Beast blog and, and how did it start? Sure. You know, uh, it's coming up on eight years I, I started the blog. I was uh, very frustrated with my retail management job. And... Uh, my wife suggested I start writing about my favorite spots to eat. Uh, I, I didn't really have an angle per se. I didn't know. I know I wanted to write about food. My wife suggested I write about burgers because I was known within my family, my friends, as someone who would just order burgers no, no matter where we went. So it didn't matter if whether we were at a steakhouse or even if it was on a kid's menu at some ethnic restaurant, I would order it. It didn't matter. They would get embarrassed, but I didn't care because I had to know. And uh, so she suggested I call it Burger Beast. And uh, it went from there. One day I was at a pizza shop. Uh, you know, I had the name probably for about six months. I had gotten the URL. And I, I hadn't, I guess, found the right place to be the first spot to write about. I was at a pizza shop, and they actually hand-packed their own burger, baked their own bun. And I was kind of impressed that a pizza uh, place would actually take the time to do something like that. And that was the first uh, place I wrote about. It's a place called Eastside Pizzeria here in Miami. From there, it was pretty much I was just writing about, uh, you know, restaurants. And the food truck scene started taking off down here in South Florida. And I I, I was asked to curate uh, the first food truck event down here. And from there, I just started doing other events. And other, I would say, wacky things that came into my head, whether it be the Burgers and Broads calendar that we did one year with uh, pinup models at 12 different burger joints, you know, setting the Guinness World Record, like you said previously, for the world's largest food truck event, or, you know, our, the Burger Beast Museum, which is probably my craziest idea yet. So you've been doing this full-time now for quite a while, and I think that's every food blogger's dream. How did you know when it was the right time to make the transition? Right. Well, the, this uh, March 2016 will make five years that I've been doing this full-time. I was actually... Um, I was probably at my wits end at my job, and I was kind of, I, I kind of think it's hard to say, but I kind of just felt it was the right moment to do it. I, I saw that there was a lot more events coming my way, a lot of more ways for me to, 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 to turn up, uh, to make some money uh, doing this. And I was, I really wasn't making money. I think I had made the previous month on my blog, man, between events and everything, maybe $500, you know, and I went on vacation from my retail job, and I got back, and I gave my two weeks' notice. I think that when I had the two weeks off, I kind of said to myself, I've accomplished a lot working, you know, about 50 hours a week in retail management and doing this at the same time, but if I could put my full focus on it, that I could really do something with it, and, and it ended up working for me. That's pretty awesome. Uh, in which ways do you monetize your food adventures, and how, how did you turn this into, like, a full-time thing? Uh, I think the fir the first way we were were I wasn't really charging for events at first uh, for producing the food truck events. Uh, it kind of started with because my website became became kind of the hub for people looking for food truck information in South Florida. Some of the trucks started being inter interested in me having menus and stuff on the on the blog for people who wanted to do catering. Because at the end of the day, really down here in South Florida. 
where the food trucks uh, tend to make their monies in catering. So I started getting, you know, I went from, you know, I, I think at its peak I had 40 different food trucks advertising on my block. Um, now it's down to, I think, like 20. Um, but at its peak it was around 40 that were paying me to have their, their menus up on the website. So anyone who came looking, you know, could hire them for a catering. Um, and then from there, you know, when, after I did the, that, and, and I should say that when I did the first, I think it's important to note that the, probably the first four or five events I produced, I did not make one cent. It was all about getting the word out about who I was and what I was doing. And I was totally okay with that because I was working towards a goal. And, and I always am. I, 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 I don't think short term. I always think long term when I'm doing things. And I think of the long-term, um, the long-term goal of whatever it is that I'm doing. And in that case, it was like I didn't really need the money, because I felt it was going to come as long as I could prove that I was doing everything correctly. And and you know it did. Given that you started in Miami and you continue to be you know the Burger Man in Miami, and that's a very it sounds like because Miami is a very food truck heavy city, it was that was your catalyst to take off. Do you think that you could have made the same transition to full time in a city that doesn't have food truck culture? You know, that, that's a good question. I think that it was not only the food, you're right, the food truck uh, really was the catalyst, but at the same time, Miami really wasn't a burger town. When I started the blog, um, I like quickly ran out of restaurants to write about, and that's where it, that's where my blog started expanding into writing about different comfort food. Um, it probably, I probably wouldn't have expanded to other comfort food if I was like in New York or Los Angeles where, where there's just so many burger places to eat at. That you know, you could probably go. I don't know. You you guys would be able to tell me. I don't know a couple of years without hitting the same place twice. Yeah, you'll never run out in this town ever. Yeah, I don't repeat. Yeah, and and, and Miami's still not even close to that. But it's it the burger boom down here started around the same time. Also, my blog started gaining uh, momentum from the from the food truck industry. So they kind of both happened at the same time. And you know, I happen to be lucky enough to be writing about both things. So that uh, helped me out immensely. So it sounds like a little bit right time, right place, right idea. Uh, it, you mentioned that you had some advertising for food trucks and you have events. Are there any other ways that you're monetizing uh, Beastland? Uh, the blog itself, not necessarily. I do get hired uh, to curate stuff for other companies. I get hired to curate even, you know, cor corporations hire me to curate their parties. And, uh, you know, I'm now I've had a couple companies approach me who are starting these I don't really want to get into too much detail into it, but uh, uh, you know, they, they they just want to hire hire me to connect them with restaurants, which I'm kind of feel a little odd about. It's not really what what I do, you know. Um, but my my thing is really just you know sp spreading the food love around here in South Florida, as you guys know. And you know, when people come to Miami, you're gonna you're gonna find that there's you know the restaurants that the the mainstream media here wants you to know about. And you're going to find there's the, the, the restaurants that the Burger Beast wants you to know about. And very few of them overlap. Well, I came down to Miami, I think it was last, about a year ago. Uh, we didn't know each other except for, like, you know, sort of tangentially through the Internet. And you took me out for this amazing day of food all throughout the scene, stuff I never would have found otherwise. So you're obviously a great ambassador for the food scene in Miami. Do you think that doing things like that, bringing in food bloggers from other towns and showing them around, is that essential to being the burger guy, the croquetta guy, the food guy in the town that you're in? I, I think it, it could be. For me, it's kind of, you know, my, my family is very hospitable, and 
uh, it's kind of the same way. If you go to my parents' house, they want to make you feel like you're part of the family. And if you come here, I want you to see the city through my eyes. And um, I, I, I want you to go back and be able to say stuff that maybe not everyone experiences. And that's why, you know, my, my ultimate goal, a lot of people ask me, how come I haven't expanded past Miami? And I'm like, it's not really my interest to do that. My, my interest is to really have people come to Miami and come to me and, and I can show them some cool spots. If they're willing to drive a little bit to find out what the, uh, and I use the hashtag the real Miami is about. I've noticed in, in my own experiences when, when doing events and, and trying to cultivate using, uh, you know, or working with local restaurants and local chefs that the aspect of, of the food community and the people that are around it are really, really important to the success of that. Um, and I find that in a city like New York City, it's really, really hard to do uh, because there's so many events, there's so many people, there's so much going around. But, you know, from hanging out with you and having an experience similar to Brad's, I've noticed that Miami, there really is like a tight-knit food community. Is that just me seeing the world through the beast's eyes, or is that really how it is? And if so, like how important is that to what you're trying to do? That is definitely part of what I'm trying to do. I don't want um, to sit here and, and, you know, toot my own horn, but... Um, you know, like I said, I was in retail management. I was in team building. I had, you know, staffs of 20 to 30 employees at a time, and we, we needed to work together as a team. And they may be different restaurants, and in some eyes they may be competing against each other, but the truth of the matter is that it's beneficial if they're friendly and help each other out and promote each other. And, you know, generally they meet each other at my events and that's what you'll like. What I'm sure you're referring to is if you go to Burger Brawl and Rev's been there before be, before the event opens, and you kind of see how everyone's hanging around and talking to each other and get along, and they promote each other's restaurants, which is you know something that's so so cool and and I love to see. Yeah, and I, I can't say that I've really seen that in a lot of other towns where you know there are different chefs congratulating each other for winning events or eating at each other's restaurants and taking photos, and and I have to believe. A certain of that was built by you and built by the you know the Burger Beast blog. Thank you, thank you. I I, I hope that that's I really hope that's what it is. You know, um, like I said, it, it's you know not to get into the net side, but you know there's some people that are loners and, and are not going to get it and don't want to be a part of, it, and that's okay. I mean, but you know in general, we, we get along as a group. That's what also makes the event better. You go in there, there's an awesome vibe and awesome positive vibe that. Sure, if you don't win, it you know you congratulate the other person, but you also want to have a great event. You want all the people who attend to have a great time, and you know let them find out about your restaurant or your business. Um, you know what what what's the most common mistake that restaurants uh, or publicists make when they're reaching out to you or like other food bloggers to get them coverage for their for their restaurant? Well, for me, <laughs> I, I generally I, I really do not risk. I mean, I, I I'm I'm a lot of thank you, but unfortunately, I can't make it. Uh, it's not uh, an ego thing or anything like that. I just kind of want to promote businesses that I kind of, you know, like you know, all the PR and the marketing is is, is interesting. But a lot of times, it's like they try selling me with telling me they're going to give me a free meal, and you know, I can afford to pay for my own food. I don't need someone offering me a free meal as my way to to market some business. You know what I mean? It's just kind of uh, odd. And I think down here in South Florida, a lot of the bloggers have have um, have gotten um, some sort of notoriety for that. Like, you know, they just you see uh, a, a 
PR, uh, you know, invitation for some upcoming restaurant, and then you see, you know, 20 blogs all on Instagram posting the exact same pictures, which is great for the restaurant, you know. That, we have that, that up here as well. Yeah, that happens in New York City every day. <laughs> That's great for the restaurant, but I, for example, for myself, well, I want to be and do something different. It doesn't make sense for me to do something if I want to be different from everybody else. So what what mistakes do you think that they make in general, not just when reaching out to you, but like some advice that you would give to a restaurant or a food marketing person when reaching out to somebody who does what you do? Well, I don't, I don't know if they, if they make mistakes. It seems to be working what they're doing, to be honest with you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, their goal is to get all, 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 that, all that, you know. I, I, I think that, I, I don't know, it's, it's kind of hard, hard to put in words. I don't really think necessarily that they're doing something wrong. Um, but I, I don't think it's all about, you know, like free food. I think the, the cool part of it is that if they make them feel special, you know what I mean? Because then they'll take something away from there. Um, if I just go there and, you know, you just have like, plate your stuff you know throwing plates in the middle of the, of the table and you're like here snap a picture and eat what you want I mean that's not very interesting difference you know the presentation of having the chef come out and explain to you what it is he's doing and him wanting to probably know the, the, the bloggers individual I think would probably go a lot more a, a, a long ways uh, as opposed to you know what I've seen in some instances and you know I have attended them in the past but um, I, I just don't anymore so then what's a good way for a chef or, or a restaurant that maybe you weren't aware of before uh, to get onto the Beast Radar? <laughs> tag me. Hmm. Um, uh, they, they tag me on Instagram, as you can imagine, a lot. Um, and, you know, it's funny, sometimes people tag me and I'll show up the exact same day if what they're doing is something I'm into. Um, and when they say it, I'm like, it's almost like Batman. I'm like, you summoned me. You know, you, ta- you tag me. You put something that interests in me, and I and I just had to go find out. I am no, totally. I'm, not, like, bu- I'm totally buying a B signal. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's uh, you know we actually, you know funny that you mentioned that we actually wanted to do that for the burgies two years ago. We want to kind of do like the Batman signal in the sky, but use the Burger Beast logo. Um, and who knows what happened with that idea? But uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, that the the idea of like. You know, I, obviously, I'm one man. There's only so much I can know. And you're going to get a lot of people telling you, hey, here's a great example. I had someone who tagged me and said, you got to go eat at so-and-so place. And I looked it up, and I was like, hey, this place seems pretty cool. And they told me this place has the best cinnamon rolls. And, you know, down here, there's a place called Nosbury Farm that's been doing cinnamon rolls forever, and they're incredible. And they do them only seasonally. So, um I, I went to Nosbury. I went there after. I wanted to kind of compare them. I get there, and, you know, the guy who tagged me was saying that this other place, they were better. I get there. I go up, and I order them. And I was like, hey, uh, how's it going? I started talking. I order. And then I ask them, how long have you guys been in business? And they're like, oh, we just opened. You're our first customer. So, <laughs> you know, they got me. You know, whoever it was who tricked me into going over there. Telling me that they had the best minerals. Obviously, they couldn't have been there before. So, you know. Do you know how their business was doing after that? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. I don't know. But that's actually the cinnamon rolls were very good, by the way, just for the record. <laughs> Beast, what's uh, you know, I think if somebody's following you on Instagram, you know, you sort of don't play by the rules that a lot of other food Instagrammers do. You know, you get these. 
accounts that have several hundred thousand followers, and it's just like glory photo after glory photo after like stage tabletop restaurant presentation, and you go follow your account, and there might be you and a friend, or there might be a really tight close-up on a croqueta, which is not the most, <laughs> you know, photographical food, or, you know, or you might have like a super stacked, you know, medianoche, and, and it's kind of like all over the place, but to me, it, does, it doesn't look like you're out there trying to put up like the most beautiful food shots, but you're trying to tell a story and, and represent an idea. Um, do you think that that's more important than the, you know, having these ultra-curated shots is having a, a voice and a story? You know, the most important thing is hashtag no filter to me. Um, <laughs> really? That's your number one hashtag? <laughs> no, I actually never use it, but it's a fact. I don't use filters. And um, it's, it's always, uh, you know, I always try getting, you know, I'm not going to say I try getting, you know, I'm not a photographer. I mean, that, that's very important for me to know. Uh, I've gotten better at taking pictures, of course, over the years, but I don't think I'm a photographer, nor, nor do I claim to be one. Um, but I think I see, you know, something that looks crazy delicious, I, I think I could, uh, you know, kind of capture it pretty good. But, you know, a lot of the, the Burger Bee stuff was the food, and then, you know, some people who are in my world, if I, I take a picture like today, my, uh, it's my uh, one of my friends um, uh, at Comelon's birthday, so I put a picture up of me with him. Um, why not? You know, when uh, David Boy passed away, I put up, uh, I like David Boy, I wanted to, you know, put something about him, and I did. So it's really, it's really... I would say kind of like the blog was originally, it was almost like having a conversation with me that, you know, yeah, we'll talk about food, but other things that pop into my mind will come up on there also. How much of the whole Burger Beast world is focused on social media? Like how much how much does social media drive the rest of what you're doing? Like say, let's take the museum, for example, the Burger Beast Museum just opened. How much are you using social media to drive that versus other means of, of marketing? Well, that's social media is number one for me. So, um, okay, we go back a couple of years, and I think most importantly, I mean, you know, when when Facebook's kind of started throttling the how many of your your fans could see what was going on, I'm, I'm sure it hurt everybody, you know. And then you know this thing called Instagram comes along, and it's a different world out there. I mean, it's it's kind of incredible, and you can interact with people instantly. It's a beautiful thing. I always try to respond. I probably respond to 99 out of 100 comments to me, um, which is, you know, crazy because I'll go back to old pictures and find comments that were three months ago and I'll still respond to somebody. Um, but we, you know, what? a couple years ago, we used to advertise, you know, in, re in regular media. And um, we, we stopped because we realized that our fan base was big enough in social media that we didn't really need to advertise what we were doing anymore. Um you know, spending three to five thousand dollars advertising an event when you know at this point our you know our social media numbers are where they're at, it didn't make sense for me anymore. And you know, in turn, it's it's worked well for us because now it seems like people want people want to work with us, who generally have more followers than I do. But I guess it's just an influence thing now, you know, because they kind of see the the crowds that we're attracting to what we're doing. We're also doing things that are a little different than. You know, we try to do everything that's we try to do everything here to be very Miami. Um, so, I think that helps. What's an example of something that's very Miami? <laughs> well, you know, when we're when I'm trying to figure out what events, generally, it's very important. That I mentioned that my wife is the one who makes it happen. So I come up with the idea of the name for the event. I'm the one who curates the restaurants. 
Um, but when you attend an event and you think it looks beautiful, you love the layout, you love all that stuff, that's all her, you know. Um, she never wants me to give her props. Um, and uh, she's not here listening now, so that's why I can get away with doing it. <laughs> but um, in, in, in the case of, of, you know, when Croqueta Palooza, when I said I'm going to do an event all about croquetas, now, if you're not in Miami, you probably could care less about croquetas, to be honest with you. I mean, it's kind of like Spain cares about them in Miami. Um, uh, pro- hold on. Props to, props to Union, New- Union City, New Jersey, please. Oh, yes. You're right. You know, you're absolutely right. And, uh, you know, in Tampa also. Um, but really, you know, in the United States where there's a lot of Cubans, generally they care about croquetas. And um, I thought, you know, how come no one had done something just in so we did Croqueta Palooza, you know, just a festival celebrating the croqueta. And it was and it was a giant success. People laughed. They thought it, you know, I remember it all from Pincho Factory thought, told me, you really think this is going to work. Now, this coming from a guy who won Burger Bash with the croquetista, you know, now, later on, which is funny, that he would have said that to me, you know, two years ago. Uh, but, yeah, you know, anything from the Frida Showdown, I mean, I, you couldn't do the Frida Showdown in any other city. You know, Frida's being obviously our, our regional specialty burger that came originally from Cuba as uh, street food in the 20s. So that's another thing that's, you know, very Miami. Can you go a little deeper and explain to people what a frita is and also why we can't get a really good one outside of South Florida? <laughs> um, are we going to talk about why you're obsessed with them too? or? <laughs> Listen, Brad and I spend lots of time talking about food we like here. So. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, you know, the frita was a street food. It was found in carts in Cuba. And when the whole cash regime took, took over, they kind of just disappeared off the island. They're, I hear they're available again now. In uh, 1961, the first Frida place opened in, in Little Havana here in Miami. Um, it's called Frita Domino. Um, they're no longer around, but you can still, there's a place called Moro Castle, which makes a really great Frita. They're, they're essentially a spiced patty, and I'm going to explain it as a spiced patty because depending on where you go, they make it differently. Um, you know, some people use pork, some people use just re- regular ground chuck, some people use chorizo. Um, the general idea is it kind of tastes like a chorizo patty, is, is what it is. And in the case of people who just use ground beef, it's seasoned in the way they use a Spanish smoked paprika to kind of give the illusion of chorizo. Um, now, what I found out that the reason they did that was back in Cuba, um, you know, you're a street cart, you're just kind of like a hot dog cart. I mean, like, who's going to be selling chorizo? It's kind of expensive. So what they would do is they would get, go to restaurants and, mar- and little markets and buy their old cans that used to have chorizo in them and mix the beef in there so it would get all the oils and flavors of the chorizo into the beef. And that's how the Fritas were made in uh, Cuba. Now, you can talk to a bunch of people. They're going to tell you different stories because, you know, this happened, you know, you're talking 60, 70 years ago. But uh, that seems like the most logical story. And also, I think logically, even though no one's ever said it, I think that they have something to do with White Castle. And and I know kind of it might sound crazy that I would say that, but when you think about when White Castle was founded and everyone was copying them, and I'm telling you that the Fritas came out in the 20s, uh, it was the same thing. It was a, a ball of beef that they smashed on with onions, and I don't see why it couldn't have been a copy of White Castle. Just spiced up to uh, give it some, you know, Cuban, some Cuban flavor. And I'll say this before we segue out of Fritas. If you've never had one, they're amazing, but you should definitely go to South Florida to get one 
and hook up with the beast and go anywhere that he says you should get one because they're amazing. Yeah, most definitely. I can I can attest to that. Um, and that was a dope history lesson. Um, and speaking of history, so you've now opened the Burger Beast Museum, which uh, is something of a shrine to fast food history. Can you tell us more about like how that came to be and and what's going on there? Well, actually, currently the the museum's on display in my office. So I have a, a five room office uh, in Flagami, which is a part of Miami, um, and I have everything on display in here. I will be opening a full-fledged um, museum open to the public. Um, it should be open by the end of the year. It could be open sooner. It depends on construction at the Magic City Casino. It's going to be 1,200 square feet. And, and it will tell you not only the history of burgers, but the history of all the chains involved that made it popular. It will also have some history of comfort food. So you're going to kind of see some stuff you probably never heard of, like, um, I don't know, let me ask you guys. I know you guys are kind of well-versed in food, so have you guys ever heard of Kentucky Roast Beef? Nope. That is not on my radar. <laughs> so, yeah, I just found out about this about six months ago. Uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken in 1970 had 100 locations. They were called Kentucky Roast Beef, and what they sold was roast beef and Kentucky ham. Um, and 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 the logo was the colonel, but he was wearing a uh, like a chef's hat. Interesting. I mean, it's I I didn't even know stuff like that existed. Um, and I think it's because in the late '60s, it seems like there was an explosion of roast beef uh, spots. Um, I know that Arby's is kind of is, is Arby's like kind of moving into New York now. Is that what the deal is? They have set up a new flagship store just sort of on the perimeter of Times Square. Yeah, it seemed like when Arby came and then there was like Racks and then all these other um, uh, Abner's, there was a bunch of places that started opening. If you even look at the fast food menus from that era, they started adding roast beef sandwiches. And I'm talking about like McDonald's and Burger King to their menus. So I don't know if they felt threatened. And I guess KFC thought it was an opportunity for them to jump into there. Um, the one location that was in Miami is not, it's just KFC now, but it was originally the roast beef. And I actually have the blueprints for the build out of one. So if someone does want to rebuild one, <laughs> but I actually have like, uh, and I have some of the stuff. I have some of the paper cups and the trays. So interesting stuff that that hopefully uh, you'll you'll love uh, when you come check out the museum in person. Where, where are you? Go uh, ahead. Bro. I think we were about to ask the exact same question. Uh, oh. Where are you procuring all these items? Oh man, everywhere. <laughs> I was just uh, I was just in West Palm Beach yesterday. I did about a three-hour round trip just to go pick up this clock. Um, there's a chain in Miami called Burger Castle, and it's been gone since 76, and someone had a clock, and it's still in pretty good condition. It still works. I just plugged it in a minute ago. It's beautiful, uh, but all over the place. I mean, sometimes people email me, and they want to sell me stuff. Um, I've gone anywhere from eBay and Etsy and Craigslist, and I'm constantly searching online, for, and I post comments in chat rooms asking if anyone has anything uh, in the hopes. I've had people mail me stuff. They don't even put their name on there. Someone sent me a bag of badge, a name badges from Burger King from the late 70s or 80s. Um, so it's cool. I mean, so it's 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 cool to, to get all this stuff, you know, um, and and exciting. And as my wife says, very nerdy of me. So, <laughs> <laughs> do you have the original Star Wars glasses from the Burger Chef kids meal in the 70s? Where the, I well, you know what? I've never seen the the Star Wars glasses. I you you know what the thing is? The one thing I have not collected was most of the stuff that was marketing for films. Uh, in that case, that includes, obviously, you know, The Return of the Jedi, 
Empire Cups from Burger King, that sort of stuff, I, I haven't really focused on. Oh, so you, um, don't, you don't have the Naughty Minions or the McNugget Minions, whatever those things were? <laughs> no, I don't. What I do have, someone gave me the set of the, the from McDonald's, the little Transformers, the little, um, like the, the, the old styrofoam containers that like transform into, I guess they transform into little robots or something. Someone gave me the whole set of, of those guys. I ha I do have the 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 McDonald's all styrofoam uh, boxes. Um, I do not have McDLT before you ask, because some, someone always asks me that question. <laughs> Man, if I would have known those 18 months I spent at McDonald's in the high school, I would have saved them for you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, you know the McDLT is probably when 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 people come in here, they always bring up the McDLT. You would think. You know, you would think it would still be around with how popular ma people make it seem, but I mean, I remember when it came out, no one really cared about it. I, I, you, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? No, I don't. What is that? You, you don't know about the styrofoam container and the McDLT, the hot side hot, the cold side cold? What is a McDLT? <laughs> I don't even know. No, I don't. You seriously, you do not know what a McDLT is? When I said it the first time, I thought you would understand that I didn't know what it was. <laughs> I, I never take things at face value, Brad Garoon. You know this. <laughs> so, someone explain this to me. Sure. Um, you know, um, what's this actor's name? Uh, George Constanza on, on Seinfeld. Um, if you actually Google McDLT commercial and go on YouTube, you can actually watch him. He was actually, it's, it's pretty horrible and funny. He's singing a song along the lines of what Rev said about the cold side stays cold, the hot side stays hot. It was a giant styrofoam container, and by giant, I mean really gigantic. It was like two, two containers next to each other that would hold the sandwiches with a little middle piece that you could put, I guess, hold your with your fingers. And then the one half of it had the top bun with the lettuce, tomato, onion. The other half had the bottom bun with the burger and the cheese. And the whole idea was that you would keep the veggies crisp and cold, and then you keep the patty with the cheese nice and melted, separated. And only when you were ready to eat would you unite these. And it was called the McDLT. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, let's hold on one second because I want to play the commercial right now. If you guys don't mind, it's it's sixty <laughs> seconds. Let me let me just do this real quick. Hey, you say you're getting tired of lettuce and tomato hamburgers in this town that don't quite make it. Yeah. You say that just once you'd like your hamburger hot and your lettuce and tomato cool and crisp all at the same time. Yeah. Well, I say you. I'm talking McDonald's with lettuce and tomato oh, hamburger. like the beast I only ate hamburgers everywhere we went stone crab restaurant hamburger TGI Fridays hamburger all I wanted was hamburgers but I ate them plain I wanted nothing on them other than a slice of cheese so the McDLT I have never ever eaten one despite the fact that I worked at McDonald's for almost two years I've never eaten one all right well let's keep this going <laughs> <laughs> Was that too much? Was that too much for me? No. <laughs> when do you when do you anticipate the uh, the Burger Beast Museum opening? 
It should be open at the earliest by July, at the latest by December. I don't want to give an exact date because you know how that goes. Yep. Then uh, it, I don't hit the original date, and then I am constantly moving the date. So I'm telling everyone December, but fingers crossed it will be open before the summer. And is there? have you announced a, a location for that will be yet? Yeah, it's going to be at Magic City Casino. We do a lot of events there. Um, you know, um, I'm big fans of what they do. They've been very supportive of what I do. And, you know, they used to be uh, the Flagler Dog Track many years ago. And their original, the original entrance to the dog track, they don't use any longer. And I was well aware of it. And I asked them, you know, would they be cool with leasing me a space there? And they were kindly, t totally caught off guard. They had actually been here, a couple of people from the casino, um, about a week or so had, before had seen my collection. And when I told them I wanted to move it on there and put it on display, they love they love the idea of it. So, you know, they're 100% behind it. Um, you know, right now for us, it's like I'm, I, I, I kind of feel like <laughs> I have so much stuff. I mean, I, I know that you saw some of the stuff when you came, Reb, but uh, what I have now is, like, not even close to what you saw. And I constantly feel like I never have enough. I don't know what it is. <laughs> And my wife is like, you have too much, and I think I don't have enough. But, you know, I guess we'll find out when we get into the space and start displaying everything. We're also going to have, you know, it's one of the, the, the things that I'm definitely going to have is a little area uh, with a couple of benches for people to sit down, and I'm going to have probably about an hour's worth of old commercials running. Um, so if you want to sit there and watch that McDLT commercial, it will be there. <laughs> We'll, we'll place Brad right in front of it. So, Beast, before we, we segue out of here, I, I want to bring up a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, something we've not done on the show before. Uh, a very famous quote by Eleanor Roosevelt was, Great minds discuss ideas. Average minds discuss events. Small minds discuss people. I think the Burger Beast just creates ideas and events and attracts people. So you're sort of like the... Eleanor Roosevelt uh, basket of plenty there with what you're doing in Florida, and it's it's awesome to watch. Thank you, man. Thank you so much. So so with that, we, we wrap up. I, I just hope that you know whoever's uh, listening out to me, if if I'm available, I'll definitely you know meet up with you somewhere, or take you somewhere if I can, or worst, you know, invite you over to my office to check out the collection. When the museum's open, you can come by and we can chat over there. And he's not kidding, folks. We'll link up uh, how to get in touch with the Beast in the show notes. So, Beast, we, we end our show the same way every week. We can ask it a couple questions that we ask to everybody. Um, the first one is, what is your favorite burger from childhood? I have two favorite burgers from childhood, and coincidentally, I cannot find any memorabilia having to do with them, which is even driving me crazier. They were they, they were two totally different burgers. One was um, a double drive through Do you have checkers up there, like checkers or rallies? Uh, in yeah. New York City, we have Checkers, but in Michigan, where Brad and I are both from, it is Rallies. Right. You know, Checkers is actually, you know, their headquarters is down here in Tampa, and we used to have Rallies, and then they switched to Checkers. I don't even understand why. I know they're both the same company now. But uh, it was a double drive through kind of like that. It was called Gabe's. It was the Great American Burger Emporium, and it was char-grilled burgers, fresh-cut fries, and shakes. That's it. I loved it. It was such a great – it was only around maybe five or six years. And there was another one, uh, Rudy Sirloin Steak Burgers. Um, I love them. I've actually, since in the last couple of years, I've talked to the owners, the founders of both restaurants. They probably can't stand me because I, I, I've been trying to annoy them, you know, for anything. <laughs> for pictures, anything they might have, a napkin, you know. And I don't think I'm going to give up until I find something. But those two, I, I, I absolutely love them. Um, and Rudy Sirloin is probably a... a 
a burger. You know, coincident. The guy who brought Rudy's to Miami, who created Rudy's, was the first franchisee of Wendy's in Miami. He's the guy who brought Wendy's to Miami. So, well, good luck getting memorabilia from those places. I hope it works out for you. What's uh, <laughs> What's the best burger you've had recently? Um, my current favorite, and it has been for about whew, about a year or so, uh, is uh, Swine Southern uh, down here in Coral Gables. Uh, I love I love it. It's very similar to a, a Shake Shack burger. Um, but it's uh, kicked up. It's got a really thick piece of pork belly on it. Um, it's uh, it's a little on the excessive side. I mean, the patties are about the same size and everything. It's two, two you know, two thin patties. Um, but I do know that they they cook while it's cooking. I believe, I was told. I don't know if this is confirmed. They actually put uh, broth on it, like a beef broth on it, while the patties are cooking. Um, which would make sense why it has a, a little bit of a different taste. But I, I absolutely love that that burger. It's incredible. Okay, I will see you in about a couple of weeks. That will be on the agenda. Thank you very much. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> Beast, last question. What's the uh, one piece of advice you give to someone in the food marketing business? I think that um, you should, uh, at least on the social media side, make sure to respond to people talking to you. I see a lot of people having one-sided conversations. It, it kind of kills me. You know, there's you, you have a fan base that, you know, they want to be acknowledged, at least, you know, talk back to them, acknowledge their existence, thank them for following you, and you know every every once uh, you know people who follow me every once in a while send I send them shirts, invite them to events, you know, comp them tickets, you know, just to remind them and thank them for for being a fan. Uh, that's really great. That's a lot more involved than I am with my following. So those are some uh, some great tips. Oh, Brad, you've been shaming people lately on the Instagram. So yeah, we'll, we'll... I've just just been hurting people's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully you'll right. take a listen to the beast here. I want you to hurt my feelings. I'm going to go on your Instagram right after we get off. <laughs> okay. say, say something very – just leave any kind of opinion, and I'll be sure to make you feel really bad. <laughs> awesome. Well, Seth, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks for coming on the show, and thanks for giving some really great insight on uh, how people could be a turn successful blog into a successful food career. Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for having me, and I hope to see you guys in Miami soon. Great. Can you tell people how they can find you online? What's the best way to connect with you? Of course. Uh, you know, if uh, you go to the blog, obviously, BurgerBeast.com. We also have now a blog for the museum. It's called BurgerBeastMuseum.com. How original of me, huh? Hey. And, uh, <laughs> if you need to get a hold of me and you're coming to town and you want any me to, uh, any suggestions, you can always just uh, tweet to me or you or just write me a message through Instagram. And I'll get back to you. Awesome. Well, it's a real pleasure. Thanks again. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.